couple days, something big here in our uh, culture, our country. What is it? Well, thank you for coming, ma'am. I'm, I'm so glad you're here, whoever that was. When I ask a question, bring it. Uh, yeah, 4th of July. I, I figured out, I went back to my calendar. I think this is the first Sunday around 4th of July that I've been here in a while. I, I, I typically, like a lot of people are today, uh, head off uh, for the... Uh, for the vacation uh, that can kind of surround that day. Uh, but I'm here this week, glad to be so. Uh, and uh, as uh, we get ready to celebrate on Tuesday, a couple things. First of all, if you're shooting off the fireworks near my house, 11 o'clock, stop, okay? Because seriously, some of us got to go to work in the morning. And I know, you're, you, know you bought the triple pack, whatever, at the, at the tent that's you know, selling them. And I know, you're, you know you like fire and all those things. But... Uh, uh, I need to sleep. And my dog gets really freaked out. Does anybody else get that dog that's like every one that goes off? Yeah, so uh, 11 o'clock, agreed? All in favor? Okay, a couple of us. Anyway, uh, <laughs> but the second thing is this. Can we all be grateful we live in a country uh, that, you know, uh, almost 250 years ago, someone got together with some other someones and they decided, you know what, let's be free. Is everybody grateful to be in a country that's free? Yeah, me too. I grew up in the, in the uh, greater Boston area, New England area, uh, and so in those years that I lived in Boston, four years, my mom took me to almost every spot on the Freedom Trail. Uh, I know there's other places where the story takes place, but I lived in Boston, and so I uh, saw you know, where the tea party happened, and they dumped all the tea because they were angry about taxes, and I, uh, I saw uh, Lexington and Concord, where the shot heard round the world took place, right? That's what started the American Revolution. Who remembers uh, Schoolhouse Rock? Anybody remember that Schoolhouse Rock? Come on. Uh, and, then, and then I also uh, hung out uh, uh, near the Old North Church in downtown Boston where Paul Revere, uh, gather around and you shall hear of the midnight ride of Paul Revere, right? And, and that's where he hung one if by land. Good, you had a 50-50 there. Thanks again for coming, ma'am. So good. Uh, one if by land and two if by Oh, good, you had that. Did you have, a, did you have that, Marina? You had that, didn't you? Yeah, so I, I just spent uh, uh, too many Saturdays. Isn't it funny you get older? The things you hated as a kid, like dreaded, like, like groaned the whole time. Like I, I, I arrange vacations around going and doing that stuff now. Like I want to go see this stuff. I'm interested all of a sudden. But when I was a kid, 10 years old, uh, it was not my idea of fun to go see all these places. But all that said, I'm grateful that these events took place. And why do I spend so much time talking about July 4th? It's it's pretty important, it's a cool thing, but it also has a lot to do with where we're going to land today in the book of Philippians. We're going to see Paul as he encourages his Christian friends at this church in Macedonia, it's Mediterranean Macedonia, it's up here. Anyway, uh, uh, this church in Macedonia, he says, stay free, stay free, don't go back to the tyranny that was life without Jesus, stay free. Uh, he, he gave it all so that you might have freedom, uh, stay with him. And if, if you don't get anything else of what I say today, because I'll be honest with you, I got about halfway the sermon, uh, halfway through the sermon in the first hour, which is, you know, even less than usual, just so you know. There's always more sermon than there is hour. And it's not an hour. Some of you are like, he's going to go an hour? No, settle down. It's just when I'm done. But uh, I'm going to try to get through more, okay? Uh, but if I don't get through everything, just get this. Everybody get this. <laughs> there was an, an old... Uh, spiritual. It was sung by uh, the slaves in the fields as they would, you know, bring in the crops. Uh, um, they sang about, uh, uh, give me Jesus. Let the world pass away. You can have all that. Just give me Jesus. When I wake in the morning, when I wake in the morning, 
When I wake in the morning, give me Jesus. When the sky grows dark, they sang it different, but they just had these refrains that would end with the chorus, give me Jesus, give me Jesus. That's what Paul's saying. He's saying we've been given Jesus. Let's not jettison him for some other means by which we might atone ourselves and be made righteous. They don't work. Just give me Jesus. Bottom line, if you don't hear anything else I say today, remember, in life, all that matters is whether or not you know him and what you do for him. Give me Jesus. As uh, we go into chapter 3 today, just a quick summary for those of you who might not have been with us. Paul's writing this letter. It's a thank you note. He's been given a gift by the church in Philippi to help support him in his imprisonment. And so he's saying thanks. Uh, he starts out in the first chapter saying thank you and, and detailing his prayers for them. Uh, he, he talks about how things are going where he is because everybody wants to hear that in the letter. How you doing, right? And he says things are okay here in prison, like remarkably good. I'm, I'm able to share the gospel with those who are guarding me, it's pretty great. Uh, he, he goes on and as he kind of shifts into a different gear, uh, starting at the end of chapter one and heading into chapter two, he starts talking about his friends and their needs. Apparently it's come to his attention that there's some stuff going on in Philippi, uh, ways that they're being divided uh, across different theological camps and ideas. And, and so he says, make my joy complete by being of one mind. Uh, stay together, have harmony. He says, if you're, if you're going to do that, you're going to have to do nothing out of selfish ambition. You have to be humble. Harmony requires humility, right? And then he says, listen, as you're doing that, work out your salvation. Understand that you work as God works in you. You work out, he works in. And, and we head in the directions that he has for us, and we become who he wants us to be as Christians and as his church, right? Last week, he he detailed for us some travel plans because that's what we do in our letters. Here's what's coming up. Here's what you can expect. I'd love to come see you. I'm in prison. May not happen. Uh, but in my stead, I'm going to send my buddy Tim. I'm going to send uh, your church member, a guy named Epaphroditus, who was certainly the, probably the deliverer of the letter he's responding to, the gift that was given to him. He says uh, lots of things about these two guys. It's kind of an example of what it is to... Um, Live this harmonious, humble life. Uh, did I mention that he uses Jesus uh, as his chief uh, reference point for humility? Have this mind which is in Jesus. And humble yourselves like he humbled himself. Well, that's kind of the first couple chapters. We start chapter three today. Again, with this, um, this addressing of an issue. Now, he'll, he'll get to that in a second, but he's going to start with a brief reminder. Everybody, everybody say brief reminder. And then he's going to give a stern warning, say stern warning. And then he's going to finish with the Paul story, his personal testimony. Say personal testimony. So we've got a brief reminder, a stern warning, and his personal testimony. Here we go. Here's the brief reminder. He says this in verse 1, remember to rejoice in the Lord. We entitled this whole series The Bright Side because um, uh, there's this choice that you have in life to live on the dark side with Darth Vader and the others, but, uh, uh, or, or to live on the bright side. That's not really true, Darth Vader stuff, forget that. But uh, the bright side is one marked by a choice for joy. I choose joy. It's not circumstantial. It's not a feeling like happiness or elation. It's a choice. Even if everything's going wrong, I'll be right because I choose joy. That's what Paul is constantly saying. I'm in prison. All good. 
Not all good, but all good, at least in my heart and in my mind. I'm heading in directions that God is calling me to, despite what my circumstances dictate. And so he says it here again, verse 1. He's a good preacher. Look what the word he says. Finally. How many times you heard a preacher say finally and then go on for another 30 minutes, right? <laughs> finally, he says, and he's going to write another two chapters. But what he's really saying is next, or what I'm you know, getting at and all that I've just said is this. Finally, my brothers, rejoice in the Lord. To write the same things to you is no trouble to me. And it's a safety for you. I got no problem reminding you in this one. It's really important for your well-being to remember to live choosing joy. Uh, if you want things to go okay, rejoice in the Lord. I mean, he hits it over and over again in this letter. He hits it most famously in the next chapter. We'll get there in a couple weeks where he says in verse 4, rejoice in the Lord. How many times? Always. All the time, right? And then he, and like he repeats himself within the same sentence. Again, I say, rejoice. Rejoice in the Lord, always. Hey, did you hear me? I said rejoice in the Lord, always. What was that? Rejoice in the Lord, always. Are you picking up what Paul's putting down? Always, good. <laughs> you came back. It's good to have you again. Yeah, it's a, it's, it's a key component of the Christ life. This whole choosing joy thing, right? And, and we're blessed in, in early years, if you grew up in the church, some of you didn't, it's great that you're here too. Obviously excited for everybody to have faith in Jesus Christ. But growing up in the church, there were some hard parts, some things I'd do without, but there were some really good parts. Like learning this song when I was a little kid. Some older lady in our church waddled to the, little, uh, uh, to the piano and banged out this one. Ready? Jesus loves me, this I know. Come on. For the Bible tells me so, little ones to him belong, they are weak, but we had motions. And then how's the chorus go? Yes, Jesus loves me. What'd we say? Yes, Jesus loves me. Can't hear you. Yes, Jesus loves me. How do you know? The Bible tells me so. That's some good gospel singing right there. And you know what we learned, even without learning it probably, because we were just doing the song and it's what they told us to do and we had to if we were going to get the crackers at the end of the day, right? <laughs> Is they were teaching us the source of our joy. Because can I confess something to you as a pastor? Sometimes I read the Bible and I overemphasize one piece and forget the most important part, right? So the command here is obvious, rejoice, right? But there's a, it's locative in its Greek form. Ooh. It, it, it says that there's a certain source from whence we get our joy, and there's, cert, there's a certain direction in which we place our, put our joy. It's rejoice in who? The Lord, the source of my joy, the object of my joy, uh, the reason for my joy. It's Jesus. Why? Because Jesus loves me. And truly, if Jesus loves me, Whatever's going on, even if it's not okay, at some level, it's okay. Why? Because Jesus is in it. He's walking with me through it. He'll see me to the other side. His grace is sufficient for what I lack and need, right? Love that about our Savior. And so we rejoice in him. 
Uh, he is the ultimate at least. Anybody ever uh, been told that? Well, at least you got your health. And has anybody wanted to punch the person who said that? Well, at least you should go away now. Right? I remember being a, a high school athlete, and I was so into myself. I've, I've gotten mildly better at that, but I was so wrapped up in my you know, personal performance that I uh, sometimes couldn't even enjoy the successes of my team because I was so disappointed in my personal failures. And my, uh, my parents would come to me, and they'd say, hey, Mark, you know you won, right? Like the game, you guys won the game. Yeah, but I only scored two points, and coach messed me, Right? And they'd say to me, well, at least you won, and that would not be a comfortable. Look at, look at me. Look at me, everybody in the room, everybody online. I don't know what you're going through. Maybe it's great right now. Uh, you're human. It's not going to stay that way. It's going to get hard in life. And you have a choice in how you handle whatever comes. You can choose joy or defeat. You can choose to focus on me and all of my, me, my, or you can focus on he, Jesus. And you can choose to rejoice in the Lord always. At least you've got Jesus. That's the brief reminder. We'll get it again as Paul continues to write. Now comes the stern warning. The stern warning. Paul puts it like this. I'm rephrasing slightly. But he says, look out for the lies and the liars who tell them. Stay on the path, Christians in Philippi. Stay on the path, those of you who would follow Christ in 2023 here in Brandon, Florida. Know what he wants and choose it with him. Follow him and him alone. And get away from the lies and the liars. Is everybody uh, you know, sensing that there's lots of alternative ideas about how life could be, should be out there these days? Always has been but they're more prominent and prevalent now because we've got all these other you know, means by which to communicate them. And certainly our youngers, I'm looking at some of you, our youngers are under uh, you know, this onslaught of you should think this way, believe this way, you know, whatever. Th- and, and, and what Paul is saying to Philippi a couple thousand years ago, I'm saying to us, hey man, know the truth, stick to the truth. Look out for the liars. It's, it's actually, this next sentence is like, you know, written in all caps. It's just basically the Greek, Greek word blepo, which means look or be aware of, and then three things. It's like a bulleted list. Here's what it says. Verse 2, look out for the dogs, look out for the evildoers, and look out for those who mutilate the flesh. As he's writing this, and the Philippians are reading it, they know exactly, exactly what he's talking about. Maybe you don't. Uh, but back in the first century, as Christianity was, you know, coming out of the Jewish faith, it was born in Israel, uh, it was first to the Jews and then spread to the Gentiles, uh, but as this is taking place in the first, you know, 50 years of the Christian faith, a lot who had come from the Jewish faith were saying, hey man, let's not lose that, let's make sure we do everything that was us before Jesus, and so they would come to their Gentile brothers and sisters in Christ and say, if you really want to be a Christian, you'll get Jewish up in here. You'll be just as Jewish as we are. And in fact, some of them, because of the certain signs and, and markings of the Jewish faith were so prominent in the law in the Old Testament, they'd say to Gentile men, if you really want to be a Christian, you'll get circumcised. Now, if you don't know what that is, ask your mom. Anyway, uh, <laughs> but it was this sign, this physical evidence of, of your place in the, in the children of God, uh, per the Old Testament. 
It's, uh, it's something that was un, un, unrightly, unjustly being put upon uh, certain members of the Philippian church. And Paul had gotten word of it as he'd gotten word of it in Galatians and in, in other churches that are uh, written to in the, our New Testaments. And he said, hey, look out for those dogs. Look out for those evildoers who would add anything to your faith or subtract, oh, that's funny, subtract anything from it. Just keep the faith as it's meant to be. Leave it as it is. It's perfect in Christ alone. Uh, just real quick, just, I love the words he uses. The word, first word he uses is dogs. Do you know what the Jews called anybody who wasn't a Jew? Like for all time, they were called dogs. Gentiles were dogs. Not like, ooh, cute puppy. No, like uh, nasty, rabid disease-ridden, you know, stray-on-the-street dog. It was the worst thing that they could think to call someone, and so they called non-Jews dogs. And so Paul turns around and says, hey, all those Jews who are telling you you got to be Jewish if you're going to be Christian, they're the dogs. He goes on and he says, they're evildoers. This is like, he's not like picking, you know, or, or uh, uh, being gentle in his wording. He's just calling these guys, basically, it's the Greek words kakus, which is cacophony or bad or evil, and ergata, which is workers, so it's like the bad workers. They're doing bad work, these guys. They're producing evil with this false uh, idea that they're promoting. And finally, this is really interesting, he says, look out for those who mutilate the flesh. That's an English paraphrase of just two Greek words, and it's, the two Greek words are watch out, mutilation. Now, you got to know a little bit about uh, the Greek language. I didn't know this until this week, uh, to appreciate, you know, Paul's choice here in his wording, uh, the regular word for circumcision uh, was uh, the Greek word, I'll make sure I get this right, you guys won't know, I can say whatever I want, it's the Greek word strawberry, <laughs> it's not a Greek word, <laughs> the, Greek, the Greek word is peritome, and peri is the prefix for around, and tome is to cut, so it means to cut around, and again, if you ask your mom, that's a very appropriate uh, use of that word. It's how we translate circumcision. But it, Paul chose a word that uh, is, is different from it. It's a different prefix. It's kata, which means to um, basically be, be uh, you know, through, cut through. Kata tome, which means to cut to pieces or to cut to ribbons or to mutilate. This was so fascinating to me. See if you like it. Uh, the, the, the Greek was used to translate the Old Testament Hebrew, and when it came to 1 Kings 17, where this showdown was going on between uh, Elijah, the prophet of God, and these prophets who believed in a, a false god named Baal, all right, it says that those false prophets, um, uh, kata tome, they sliced and diced their bodies as a sign of their belief in Baal. And if you know that story, it didn't amount to anything. Their God was ineffective and useless, and the one true God basically uh, won the day. Does everybody remember that story? Look it up. It's a good one. But it's the same Greek word used to translate that Hebrew word. That, that, so, so, so in essence, what Paul is doing in a sneaky kind of linguistic way is he's saying, we're not even talking about circumcision. What they're asking of you to do is mutilation. It's on the same par level is what the prophets of Baal did. And, and, and what Paul's essentially saying is it doesn't work. It's ineffective. So watch out for it. Look out for the dogs and the evildoers and those who would mutilate the flesh. Look out for the lies. 
that would lead you astray. Don't go back to what doesn't work. Is anybody grateful for like advances in technology? Like if we lived like, oh, thank you. If we lived like, a, I don't know, 500 years ago and you went to the doctor, you would sit down next to a, a, a mason jar full of leeches. Yeah. And, and, and then he'd have you lay down and he'd just start putting blood-sucking leeches on you to fix whatever hurt you. Okay, yeah, some of you are like, well, I'm not staying. If, if, if you go to your doctor's office on, on Thursday and he's like, hey, can I get you to lay down? And he starts pulling leeches out of a jar. Are you staying? No, we're going, right? We're not sticking around. We'd know because things have advanced to a point that that doesn't work. And other things can. And that's what Paul's saying. Hey, that old stuff... That was commanded of us and had value and certainly has, you know, uh, uh, a directional understanding of things that we need to honor God with everything that we have. That worked then. It doesn't work now. Then he gets all uh, declarative. He gets all like, uh, let me tell you what's really going on here. Look at verse 3. He says, we, we Christians, we people who have by faith received Christ, we're the new circumcision. We're the ones who are truly the children of God. We are the circumcision who worship by the Spirit of God and glory in Christ Jesus and put no confidence in the flesh. Read there. We're not looking to all these externals uh, to, to, re, you know, to, to earn our righteousness or our atonement or our placement in, the, in relationship with God. We're not doing that because we have understood something different. See, see, you've heard me say this before. All the other religions are do religions. Do all these things. Keep the five pillars of Islam. You know, uh, do uh, you know, these certain meditations in the Eastern religions. Do, 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 do. That's all the other religions. The Christian religion is the done religion. It has been done. When Jesus cried on the cross, it is finished. It is finished. His work is what our faith is in, not ours. And so Paul says, we're the new circumcision. We worship by spirit. Jesus gave us a, a little indication of that uh, when he was talking to this woman in Samaria. They, they both landed at the same well in the middle of the day. Jesus asks this unnamed woman, you know, for a glass of water. And she says, oh, you know, that gives, it's a long story. But uh, they basically come down to where he starts kind of reading her mail to her, telling her that uh, he knows who she is, and they get into this uh, theological debate. She says, well, I'm a Samaritan, and our people think we should worship on this hill, and, and you're a Jew, so your people say we should worship on this hill, and this is what Jesus says to her. He says, the hour is coming, John chapter 4. The hour is coming, and it's now here. Hi, I'm the usherer inner of the hour. It's here where, we, uh, where the true worshipers will worship the Father in what? Spirit and truth. For the Father is seeking such people to worship him. God is spirit and those who worship him must worship him in spirit. It's not about a hill or a location. We're the temple now, right? It's not about, um, you know, the signs like circumcision and others like them, the feasts and the fasts and the sacrifices. We have the Lamb of God, the, the one sacrifice. It's not a do religion, it's a done faith. And we put our faith in the one who has done. It goes on and it says that we glory in Christ. I love that, where it says that we glory in him. Jesus is the obvious hero of our spiritual story. 
That word glory there is the Greek word kau hau omenoi. And it means boast, brag. In other parts of our Bibles, that's how they translate it. We brag in Jesus. We, we, we talk smack with, you know, for Jesus, on behalf of Jesus. He is the one that we point to. He's the hero of this story, and I have nothing to contribute. That's what the next phrase means. I put no confidence in the flesh. I got nothing to add here. No value added. Jesus alone gets the glory. My father-in-law has been living with us for the last year, and uh, he's, a, he's a magnificent woodworker. He, he's a chip carver. I don't know if you've ever seen this, but like... Uh, it's, it's, he gets these like goggles on and he basically goes to like a, a wooden plate, for instance. I got him like three wooden plates so he could make different plates for his grandkids. And he just starts cutting away these little pieces and these intricate designs. I mean, it is micro level stuff. If I did it, <laughs> we just have a bowl at the end. It'd just be because I'd mess it up so much. But he's, you know, even at 90 years old, he's got the patience, first of all, out, right? And, and, uh, and just the, 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 you know, he's an engineer. He's got the acuity and the, all the things that he needs to be able to do this stuff well. Well, he, he loves to show this stuff off when people come over, right? Like if you ever come over to our house and, and you're there long enough, Byron's going to get his carvings, right? And he's going to show you what he's done because he's proud of it, and rightly so. He's worked hard on it. How stupid would it be for me to come up behind him and as he's explaining how long it took him to carve this plate, for me to grab it and be like, I get all the credit for this because I ordered this plate from Amazon. Thank you very much. Yes, this plate is here because I went online for 10 seconds and I clicked buy now. Thank you very much. And I took all the shine from my father-in-law. Would that be an apt uh, representation of who was really? No, I didn't do anything for that plate except push buy now. He did all the work in the same way. Jesus has done all the work, and so we glory in him. So the brief reminder, rejoice in the Lord. The stern warning, look out for the lies and the liars that tell them. And the last thing shifts to Paul's personal story, which I'm sure many of these Philippians had heard. He'd hung out with them as he planted this church for a few years, and, and he had told them you know, everything that had led up to his coming to Christ. But uh, he tells his story for a different reason here. He's basically addressing uh, the false teachers in the midst of Philippi who are saying, you got to have all these extras. you got to be Jewish if you're going to be Christian. He's like, hey, you want to play that game? We can play that game. Look what he says in verse 4. He says, though I myself have reason for confidence uh, in the flesh also. If anyone else thinks that he has reason for confidence in the flesh, I have more. And he's going to rattle off his resume here in just a second. And we all get this, like... Uh, there's certain things where if you see two people kind of, you know, standing next to each other about to compete in something, you can pretty much pick the winner. Like if I showed up here, like I do almost every year at our global 5K event, which is a 5K race around our property, and I stood at the beginning of the race with all of the other serious racers, which is, if you've never been to a 5K race, the fast people are in front, okay? The, re the rest of us are in the back. Well, you let the fast people go first because you don't want them to be slowed down in their time by all the people who are just going to applaud. And so I almost always go up there, ha, 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 you know, to show that I'm going to be running with the, you know, the 18-year-old track star who's going to be done in 15 minutes without breaking a sweat. Don't you hate that guy? I hate that guy. I mean, I love him, but I hate him. Are you with me? So I stand next to him, and if, you know, if, if, you, were, uh, if you were there that morning, John, and you, you're like, okay, let's, let's bet, uh, uh, who's going to win the race, Mark or the 18-year-old? Who are you going with? 
18, good. The guy in the first service said Mark, and I, there was a total suck up, and he's out of the church now. He's done. <laughs> it's, we just don't do that anymore. Uh, uh, no, you take the, and, and that's what Paul's saying here. He's like, yeah, you want to have the contest? Let's have the contest. Here's my resume. Let's go. He starts in verse five with some of the intangibles. Like, you know, God uh, basically set Paul up to be blameless uh, in his Jewish faith. How? Well, uh, Paul's uh, parents were serious Jews, and so they followed the commandment to have their son circumcised um, on the eighth day. And so from his eighth day on, he was in compliance with all that the Old Testament law had required. Circumcised on the eighth day of the people of Israel. He's, He's got the genetic box ticked. He's, he's like full-blown <laughs> Jewish. Uh, he's of the tribe of Benjamin. What a flex, right? Like there's 12 tribes, and we're not going to rank them, but if you were ranking them, uh, Judah would be first, right, because that's where all the kings came from. It's where the, you know, the capital Jerusalem was. So the Judahites would probably be like, well, we're the best. Uh, but then close second would be Benjamin. They're the only ones that stuck with Judah when all of the rest of the ten tribes in their wickedness separated from the southern kingdom. Uh, they were the only other tribe that had a king whose name happened to be Saul, who this guy Paul was named after because he was Saul of Tarsus before he was the apostle Paul. And so he's like, yeah, man. Uh, uh, circumcised on the eighth day, uh, uh, you know, uh, born into Israel, uh, uh, genetically uh, fulfilling the requirements from the tribe of Benjamin. That's pretty cool. Uh, a Hebrew of Hebrews. Uh, he goes on and he says, uh, uh, these are the qualities where, you know, I didn't have anything to do with them, but I was just set in the right lane. And then once I was old enough, he goes to the things that were his responsibility. These last three are the things that he personally achieved. He says this, as to the law, a what? A Pharisee. He was a one percenter. He was like so serious about his Jewish faith that he joined the Pharisee club. You know, if he was like the, uh, the Boy Scout, he was an eagle. He was an eagle scout. He had all this, he had the sad, who, who was in the Boy Scouts? I had like one badge, right? And I'd stand next to my eagle scout friend and he's got like two sashes. He's got so many badges, you know? Or maybe some of you are in the military, right? I know, thank you for your service. God bless you, all of you. Uh, but uh, uh, maybe you've stood next to the four-star general who's got that, you know, that, that metal side of his uniform that's just covered, right? And you're, you know, just in, uh, enlisted and you're driving him around and you've got like, you know, whatever. That, I mean, you're just, there's, that's how he's saying, I, I had all the medals. Eagle Scout. I was in the top club. This is how he describes it in Acts 26 as he's uh, giving his testimony before Agrippa in one of the the uh, pre-trials that has led to his imprisonment. He says, I was a member of the strictest party of our religion. I mean, I was was really, really Jewish uh, because I was a Pharisee when it came to the law. As to zeal, I was a persecutor of the church. And this is where you really know if someone believes what they say they believe, right? They do something about it. Like, I pray you're not this kind of Christian who's just like a Christian by name, but you, I could never tell if I watched you, how you lived, that you were actually following Jesus Christ. Don't be that Christian, okay? I'm not saying you got to stand on a mailbox after we're done here and, you know, testify for an hour. If you want to, go ahead. But, but I am saying that if you truly believe what you say you believe, it changes how you live. Hey, it just makes a difference. And, and Paul was so... Ardent, so passionate about the Jewish faith, 
that when certain Jews started to follow a carpenter from Nazareth, he's like, we're not having any of that. And I'm using every you know, power, uh, you know, civically and religiously that I have to, to weed out these interlopers and, and bring them to justice for not being the proper Jews that they were born to be. The last thing he says this is to righteousness under the law. Paul says, final line of his resume, blameless. I don't think he was, you know, um, uh, you know, batting a thousand, but certainly compared to anybody else who followed the law, he, he was, comparatively speaking, blameless. Like he was that, you know, uh, like I was driving with my uh, father-in-law uh, and Eleanor yesterday on the truck. He sits in the front with me, and uh, he doesn't do this a lot. He's, I love my dad, uh, but I took a, a, a little, I don't know, rolling right-hand turn at a red light. Anybody ever done those? I looked. It was on Bloomingdale. I, I saw both lanes were empty for miles, and, and I just kind of, okay. And I got about, I don't know, 100 yards down the street, and he's like, wow, kind of rolled through that one. <laughs> it's like, what? You're supposed to stop at the red light before you turn. I was like, I did. He's like, you did not. <laughs> and so I, no, uh, uh, I didn't, I, there's no abuse going on. Uh, and, and it would have rested, it would have landed a little bit differently if I hadn't known the guy for like 35 years and knew that when it comes at least to driving, he's blameless. Never exceeds the speed limit. Raise your hand if that's you out there right now. Okay, yeah. Oh, oh really? Good for you, Tony. Way to go, bro. Everybody, this is Tony. Uh, he doesn't go over the speed limit. And I, I, I shouldn't say that. Like, we shouldn't go over the speed limit. Do I need to say that out loud? Okay, good. Uh, but most of us choose not to. Why? Because if there's no cop parked on the side of the road, there's no rules when it comes to driving, right? <laughs> Don't clap for that. That's horrible. It just shows us who we are, right? We are blameful, not blameless. We are human, and that there's no excuse for that. Dad, when it comes to driving, was blameless, but he ain't perfect. Paul says, hey, listen, when it comes to the law, I did it way better than any of you. I didn't miss a fast or a feast. I did all the sacrifices. I was there every time that the doors opened at our synagogue. I, I, I was passionate, zealous. I was a Pharisee. I nailed this thing. You want to hear what he writes next? It's one of my favorite verses in the whole Bible. But whatever gain, it's actually plural. He says, whatever gains I had from all those things that I did, I counted, past tense, that's significant, I counted those things as loss for the sake of Christ. He says it in the past because he's referring to an event in the past. And if you want to go in your Bibles and find this particular event, it's in Acts chapter 9, where he comes face to face with Jesus on a road to Damascus and Syria. And in that one moment, he loses his physical eyesight, but his eyes are opened spiritually. And he understands that everything that he's been banking on is just not going to work in this new covenant that has come through the Son of God, Jesus Christ. I can't bank on those things. In fact, this is so tricky. In the Greek, this word loss means debit. Okay, not just like, oh, it was a bummer, it didn't work. Like, how many people have tried something and it didn't work? Okay, that's not what he's talking about. He's talking about everything that I banked on, my resume, as great as it was, all those things that I banked on, they weren't just a nothing, they were a debit. They were taking me into the negative moving me further from Christ. They weren't just nothing, they were dangerous. 
and, and, and leading me into death. So I count all of those things or counted all those things for loss. He goes in the, into the present text next and he tells us this last thing that I wanted to, uh, you know, us to get today is, is that we need to lose everything except Jesus. <laughs> Let the world pass away. Give me Jesus. Whatever I gain, I count it as loss. Uh, he goes on and he says, indeed, I count everything as loss because of the surpassing worth of knowing Christ Jesus, my Lord. Compared to knowing Jesus, everything else, fitting that I make that noise because the next phrase goes like this. For his sake, I suffered the loss of all things and count them as, in our English, sanitized version, rubbish. It's the Greek word scubala, and it means dung. I could be more graphic, but I'd get fired. <laughs> He's basically saying, looks at me, and if you don't get anything else, maybe you don't come back after I say this, but this is what your Bible says. Everything that I did to atone for myself is a poop sandwich. And there's no amount of dressing up and garnishing of that kind of sandwich that's, make it, that's gonna make it palatable. Can everybody agree with me? Unless you're just wacko and we gotta have you committed, that's just not something <laughs> that the human is wanting, is wanting to eat. And he says, I count all those things, anything that I could accomplish for myself as scubala. Why? In order that in their stead I might gain Christ. Are you picking up the loss gain language? This is my debit. Christ is my aim. I can't fix it. In fact, when I try to fix it, I just make things worse. Tarnish is going to come and sing us a song as we close. I'll tell you one quick story and then finish with what I want to say. I was playing basketball with a good uh, buddy of mine when I was younger. Uh, we planned on dunk hoop. We, we lowered this rim that I had bought to a level where we could all dunk. And so uh, we were playing one-on-one-on-one, -on -one -on -one, which is just one against two, essentially. The other two guys are trying to keep you from scoring. And so uh, D-Day went up to block a guy's shot uh, at the same time that I did. And the guy missed the dunk. I hit D-Day, my friend D-Day's hand. And uh, his hand hit the guy's hand in the rim at the same time. And his pinky went that direction. Okay, sorry. Enjoy your lunch. But, uh, I mean, it was at a right angle. Now, I'd, I'd grown up playing basketball in college and high school, and so I'd seen a couple dislocations, and I thought I knew what I didn't know. And so I said, I can fix that if you'll just let me hold it for a second. Oh, good, you're seeing this. Everybody, I don't have to tell the rest of the story. You know what's going to happen, right? I took this guy's fractured, not at the knuckle, fractured pinky, and I grabbed it and I yanked it. And I have never heard louder words uh, than I did at that moment. He went to the doctor, and the doctor said, what happened? He said, well, I, you know, and he said, yeah, but what happened after it happened? Well, my idiot friend grabbed my, it's like, yeah, and so my, you know, every time I see him, he waves at me with his bent pinky. Because uh, I thought, listen to me, I thought I was helping, and I was hurting. Why? Because when it comes to this spiritual life, there's only one hero. We glory in Christ. We don't put any stock in the works of our flesh, in our efforts. It's not what saves us. Listen, it's not what saves us. And even as we try to, Paul's already said this, work out our salvation with fear and trembling. Even, even as we apply ourselves to, 
to humbly following and serving Christ, it's still he who does the work through us so that we can't boast in our own efforts. It's, it's to him be the glory, right? So bottom line, in the Christian life, let's not head back into the tyranny that was our flesh. Let's remain centered in the truth, which is this. Jesus alone saves us, sanctifies us, and he alone will glorify us and resurrect us from the grave to where we will meet him in the sky. I was sitting at a funeral as I talk about the grave. A funeral for a guy in our church, or not our church, in a church just down the road from us, our brothers and sisters at Bell Shoals. Maybe you were part of them back when this happened. Uh, but uh, there was a season where their senior pastor and his son passed away in a tragic plane accident. Uh, and then about, uh, I don't even, less than a year later, their worship pastor, longtime worship pastor, a neighbor of mine, a guy named Simeon, he just uh, dropped dead one day. And so this church has been in mourning. They've lost their shepherds. And we're all sitting in the sanctuary that they have now. And, um, and we're grieving. But someone gets up and sings this song by a guy named Chris Rice. And it, it's basically, if it, I'm just going to let Darnish just sing it, we're going to go home. It's the soup to nuts of the spiritual ex- ex- experience. It starts with Jesus. Jesus, by his spirit, draws us to himself and then saves us through his work on the cross. It's a done, not a do, right? And then through everything that is our sanctification process, leading up to our end, through every storm and joy that we have, and then finally when we breathe our last, our last it's Jesus beginning, middle, end. And so here's my question to you. Maybe you need to come and talk to me. I know we're going to have this lunch for our you know, families that are younger after. It's great. But if you need to come and talk to me or one of our prayer partners because there's some lacking of Jesus in your life. Like if you don't know him, you need him. If you do know him, you need him. And if there's other things that are detracting and distracting from this life that you have with Jesus. Come, make that right. Repent, confess, and return to the one who's the beginning, the middle, and the end. It's Jesus. Listen to my sister sing. Sing if you know it. Weak and wounded sinner Lost and left to die Raise your head for love is passing by. Come to Jesus. Come to Jesus. Come to Jesus and live. Now your burdens live. His blood has washed away the stain. So sing to Jesus, sing to Jesus, sing to Jesus, and live. And like a newborn baby. Sometimes 
Stay with me. God in heaven, uh, thanks for the reminder through Paul to watch out for the lies that could take us away from just uh, our faith in Jesus alone. Let's not add anything to, subtract anything from. Father, when we uh, uh, rejoice, help us to rejoice in him. When we suffer, help us to suffer looking to him for what we require to get through. Thanks that life, the new life begins with faith in Jesus and this physical life ends with meeting him face to face. We rejoice in that. Help us to rejoice always. I pray it in Jesus' name. Amen. God bless you. Have a good week.